Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. As you take your seat, take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Acts as we continue our journey through the book of Acts. And, and just to let you know before you turn uh, to Acts or as you're turning to Acts, we really are at a significant point in the story of Acts. Uh, so, so, so remember what Jesus said to his apostles before he ascended back to the Father. He said in Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And now as we get to Acts chapter 10, we are seeing the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus made in Acts 1-8. And what's going to happen is now the story is going to shift. Because for the most part, we've been in Jerusalem, seeing God at work in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 8, we saw a God at work in Samaria. But now we're really seeing the gospel move to the ends of the earth. And the story is going to shift from focusing primarily on Peter now to focusing on Paul and his mission to the Gentiles. But but we'll get there in a moment. Acts chapter 10 is where we are this morning. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8 is what we'll read together in just a moment. We're actually looking at a a large portion of Scripture. So I hope you um, uh, didn't stay up too late last night watching football because you're going to need to be awake this morning. We're looking a lot. Acts 10.1 uh, through chapter 11 verse 18 is where we're going to spend our time together, but we'll read in just a moment Acts 10.1 through 8. So so many of you were here last Sunday. If you were not here, you missed a blessing. Uh, Dr. Dondi Costin, the president of Charleston Southern, he was here and he he preached last Sunday and did a great job. And and, and if you were here last Sunday in both services as he was sharing, he, he shared a, a story that, that, that was semi-humorous, right? He shared a semi-humorous story about me and Chick-fil-A and, and, and some of you laughed at it and, and some of you didn't laugh at it and if you didn't laugh at it understand why you didn't laugh I mean it was it was just kind of funny right I mean just, but just kind of funny and so so he was telling the stories and all that and he told in the first service and he told in the second service and and for me it was a, a rare privilege last Sunday because typically on any given Sunday I'm up here. This is what you pay me to do, right? I stand up here and I preach and my family's down there. And so I don't get the opportunity very often to sit with my family during worship and, and, and listen to somebody else preach because I'm the one who's usually up here. And so I was sitting down there last Sunday morning listening to, uh, to Dr. Costin preach his sermon. And, and I was listening to that, that somewhat hilarious, somewhat not hilarious story of, of Chick-fil-A and Popeyes and all those kind of things. And, and, and as he was telling that story, uh, Luke looked over at me. Me and said, Daddy, he's funnier than you are. <laughs> and in that moment, it was like a dagger to my heart, right? Oh my goodness. And so, so here's what I know, and you know this to be true too, uh, that, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm preacher daddy, that week in and week out, my boys see me on the stage, they see me uh, preaching, and so, so, so it's rare for them to hear from somebody else, right? But, but not only did Luke hear Dr. Costin last week, both of my boys, and your kids as well, as they are in the life of our church, they are seeing that God works not through one person on a stage, but he works through all of us. If you have 
kids that are in Life Connection groups or in Awana. You're, like me, very thankful that, that your kids have people who are investing the gospel in them, and your kids are seeing firsthand that God works through a variety of people. God works through His people who give their lives to Him in full surrender. God works through you. And so here's the question that I want to ask this morning. And this is just a real simple question that I want you to ask. Will you let God work? Simple enough, right? Will you let God work in you? Will you let him do a work in your heart that he wants to do to make you more like Jesus? A work where, where he is, is empowering you to put to death the flesh and the sin that so easily entangles you and teaches you to walk in holiness. Will you let him work in you and will you let him work through you? Will you let him use you uh, to invest in the next generation? Will you let him use you to share the gospel with people outside of these walls and in our community and wherever else he leads? Will you let God work? This was the question that Peter was posed with in Acts chapter 10. Because in Peter's heart, and we're going to see in a moment, uh, there was something, there was something that was inhibiting Peter from allowing God to work in the way that God wanted to work through him. Something that Peter had to deal with if he was going to allow God to work through him. And we see that in Acts chapter 10. And so what I want to show you this morning, just real simply and real plainly, as we walk through this story together, the story of a Roman centurion named Cornelius giving his life to Jesus, what I I want you to see in this story this morning are, are simply just three ways, three ways that you and I can allow God to work through us. Three ways we allow God to work through us. So take your Bibles, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. When you find that, go ahead and rise your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word together. If you're new to the Bible, Acts isn't hard to find. Just go to the New Testament and find the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. If you don't own a Bible, there should be one in the book rack before you. Pick that up and find Acts with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you and begin to read it and, and, and learn about the God that loves you. Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now, send men to Joppa. And bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you for time and your word. And Father, what I know is going to take place in this room this morning is that your spirit is going to be at work in the lives of every single person who's gathered here who desires to hear your voice, you're going to work. You're going to do a work in us so that you might do a work through us. And so I ask God that in these moments you would help us to listen carefully to what you're saying to us because I I know this morning uh, there are some things that you're going to confront us with uh, from your word that are going to be a bit uncomfortable. And so, Father, as we reflect on your word this morning, help us to have hearts that are open, that are ready to receive your truth, and that that are ready to obey the truth that you place before us. 
Father, do a work in us this morning, and may we not hinder the work that you're wanting to do right now, and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So as you have a seat and you think back to where we've been in our journey uh, in the book of Acts, the last few chapters really has been the story of unlikely conversions. Remember after uh, uh, Stephen was martyred for his faith, how the church begins to spread outside of Jerusalem because of persecution. And there's a man named Philip that finds himself in Samaria, a group of people that were hated by by Jews. And and Samaritans come to faith in Jesus Christ. Unlikely converts. Or you think about, we didn't look at this story because we looked at it back in January when we did our Through the Word series. But you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. An unlikely convert who gives his life to Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 9, we saw another unlikely convert, Saul, on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute Christians because of their faith, is radically changed by Jesus Christ, an unlikely convert. And now here we are in Acts chapter 10, and another unlikely convert, a man named Cornelius. Cornelius lived in a city called Caesarea. I've got a map I want to show you just to kind of give you an idea of where we're at in the land. So I I know you might not be able to see this very well, but just watch my finger points. And so this is Jerusalem down here. Up here on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, up here is a city by the name of Caesarea. What's interesting about Caesarea is Caesarea was built by King Herod the Great. You probably remember King Herod the Great because he was the king over Judea when Jesus was born. And if you know anything about King Herod, you know that he was not appointed by the Jews. He was appointed by the Romans. And so King Herod found himself in an interesting situation. He wanted to be loyal to Rome, and at the same time, he wanted the Jews to like him. And so he did a lot of, of construction, a lot of building. He rebuilt the temple, and on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, he built this city called Caesarea. And it really was a tribute to Rome. In fact, Caesarea, the name, comes from the word Caesar. He built it in honor of the first Roman emperor, a man by the name of Caesar Augustus. And you've probably heard that name because Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor during the time that Jesus was born. But what was interesting about Caesar Augustus is that he took on for himself the title, now watch this, he took on for himself the title, Son of God. In fact, if you were in the Roman Empire and you were to pick up a coin that had Caesar Augustus' face on it, it would say, Son of God. So imagine, imagine living in Judea. Imagine living in Palestine. And you hear the name of the city, Caesarea. Caesarea is a reminder to you of who's in charge, the Romans. Caesarea is a reminder to you. I mean, after all, the Romans have built an influential city right in your country. It's a reminder of oppression. Reminder that that Caesar Augustus is in charge. It's a reminder that, that you are, in a very real way, oppressed by the Romans. Just imagine the hate that boiled up in the hearts of Jews every time they thought of Rome and every time they thought of this city Caesarea, a city built uh, as a tribute to Rome, a city built, a city of commerce, a city uh, of, of trade for the Roman Empire right in Palestine. And then down the way from Caesarea was another city, a city by the name of 
Joppa. You might remember Joppa because in the Old Testament, there is a prophet who God came to and said, go to Nineveh. But instead of going to Nineveh, this particular prophet Jonah, he went to Joppa to disobey the Lord. In fact, if you go with us to Israel in 2020, I know a lot of you are, uh, we'll go to both Caesarea and Joppa and see these places. And I just want to show you another picture. I mean, Caesarea is on the Mediterranean. It's a beautiful place. And Joppa is just as beautiful. But now the question is, as, as, as Peter is in Joppa, the word of the Lord is going to come to him to go to Caesarea to share the gospel with a Roman centurion. Will he obey? Or will he, like Jonah, disobey? It's interesting, right? But, but, but in this city, Caesarea, there is a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. I mean, just think about the name Cornelius. It sounds Roman, doesn't it? And this man named Cornelius, he was significant because he was a centurion. He, he was over, at minimum, 100 soldiers, maybe even more. He was entrenched in the Roman government. He was entrenched in the Roman way of life. And he was doing well for himself. He made up to eight times as much money as the average Roman soldier. He, has, he had made his living by being one of those commanders of a Roman army. And so here he was. And, and, and if you were a Jew, if you were Peter or any other person that, 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 that native land was Palestine, when you heard the name Cornelius again, that hatred would boil over in you. I mean, just the thought of the Romans and what they were doing, right? There was something interesting about Cornelius. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how long he had lived in Caesarea, how long he had lived in Palestine. But what we do know is undoubtedly, before he lived in Palestine, before he lived in Caesarea, when he lived in Rome, he was exposed to a multitude of gods, Caesar, Augustus, and, and other gods that were worshipped in the Roman Empire. And none of those gods for Cornelius were satisfied. And I don't know exactly how it happened. I don't know exactly how it went down. But, but undoubtedly, as as Cornelius made his home in Palestine. As he made his home in Caesarea, maybe he started to visit some of the synagogues. And he began to hear about the God of Israel. And the God of Israel sounded so different than the gods that he worshipped in Rome. And the Bible tells us here in Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius was a God-fearer. He came to believe that the God of Israel was the true God. The one true God. And he began to pray to this God and, and give alms and, and honor this God. But, but listen, here's what you need to see. Even though he believed in the God of Israel, and even though he prayed to the God of Israel, and even though he gave to the poor, it wasn't enough. Because he needed to know exactly what this God of Israel had done. This God of Israel had sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for him to rise from the dead, to secure for Cornelius life abundant and eternal. And so while Cornelius believed in God, he had not been introduced to the son of the true God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so it's an interesting story, right? An angel appears to Cornelius. Cornelius, I know that you're a God-fearer. Here's what you need to do. Send some of your men to Joppa. There's a man named Simon there, Simon Peter, who's staying with another man named Simon, Simon the Tanner. Send, send some men to Simon and bring him back to you. He's got something he needs to tell you. Interesting, right? I mean, this angel who appeared to Cornelius could have shared the gospel with Cornelius. 
could have told Cornelius about Jesus, the Son of God who died and rose again. But God's chosen means to reach people is not angels, but people. And so God tells Cornelius to send for Peter. And the men do as Cornelius say. They go and they find Peter. But, but, but before we get to that part of the story, I want you to stop right here. Because what's going to happen is in a moment, Peter is going to be confronted with a choice. Will he go to Cornelius or will he not? And I'm just telling you, I, I think that everything in Peter's heart would have said, no, I'm not going to Cornelius. Because Cornelius represented everything that Jews in that culture hated. They represented oppression. Uh, They represented a miserable existence in Palestine. I am certain that Peter has some prejudices against people like Cornelius. And listen, listen, here's where I want to stop and camp out for just a moment. If we're going to let God work in us and through us, listen, we've got to start being honest about our own prejudices. Right? Because the reality is there are people who are open to the gospel, but are we open to them? Because think about it. For us, it might not be Romans, but I can name a group of people right now. I can name a certain ethnic group of people, and and immediately your mind begins to form some judgments about those kinds of people. I can right now name some alternative lifestyles. I can say the word transgender, and immediately your mind begins to form some judgments about those kind of people. I can immediately name a political party. I can immediately say something like Democrat. And some of you in this room will say, Democrat, they're all going to hell anyway, right? Why would I bother investing in them? Or I could say Republican, and there will be some in this room who say Republican. Why would I bother with them? Because they're all going to hell, right? You see what I'm saying? I can say some words. I can name some ethnic groups. I can name some different types of lifestyles. I can name some political parties. And immediately your mind goes not to people who need hope of the gospel. Immediately your mind goes to judgment. Because we're all this way, are we not? Deep within every single one of us, if we're honest about it, we're honest with ourselves and honest before God, come on, you know it. Deep in every one of us. We hold on to some prejudices that keep us not open to people, but keep us closed to people. You see? And here's why I know, and you know it too, I don't even have to tell you this. Those ethnic groups that you tend to look down on, that lifestyle that you tend to look down on, uh, that that political party that you tend to look down on, that, that, that socioeconomic class that you tend to look down on, whatever it is that you tend to judge, whatever group of people it might be, within those groups of people that you tend to judge, God is at work. You might not see it. You might not know it. You might not understand it. But there are people in those groups that you tend to judge who are looking for peace, who are looking for something lasting, who are looking for joy. And God is at work preparing their hearts for the gospel. But we're closed to them because they don't look like us, because we don't agree with their lifestyle, and maybe rightly so, because they don't affiliate with the right kind of political party. Because they, they, don't, they didn't grow up like we did. You see? And I, I just want to remind you that people are open to the gospel. 
They want to ask you, are you open to people? And maybe this morning it's time for us as a church to come face to face with some of those prejudices that we hold on to because reality is you know it like I do, that we live in a culture right now that is so divided. And let's just put our cards on the table, right? We see it every time we turn on the television, every time we listen to talk radio, every time we pick up a newspaper. If even if you even read a newspaper, I know it's all online now. But, but we see it in our faces all the time that we're divided. And if you look at our churches, let's just be honest, in this particular area, we're not much different than the culture around us. And we should be the very ones that are leading change in this area, yet we're not. And, and the reality is, because our, our hearts are closed to people they should be open to, we become what? A barrier to the gospel. When I lived in North Augusta, um, there was a, a group of pastors that would go uh, down to the local prison and would, would preach at the prison. And so it was like kind of a rotation, right? Like I got invited to be a part of the rotation. So once every three or four months, I would go down to the prison and, and I would preach at the prison. And, and, and I'll just be honest with you. I mean, look at me, right? Like I, I'm not the kind of guy you think about like in prison, right? Like I've, I've worked really hard to stay out of prison. And, and, and just look at me. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a short, skinny, white, blonde dude, right? Like prison just isn't where I fit. You understand? That's why I try to stay out of it. And so, 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 so I remember the very first time I, I went to the prison to preach. And I'd never been to prison before. It was different. And I remember like, pulling up in and, and, and the parking lot and going through the security gate. And I remember being escorted into the prison facility. And I remember having to do all those things for a security check. You know, take off your belt and your shoes and put your keys on the table. And I remember having to check in. I remember them taking me behind doors and, and leading me into a, a room. A room that, that would hold about 150 people. And I remember them escorting me onto the stage. And to my right on the stage were instruments for the inmate band that would lead us in worship that night. And, and as I sat on the stage in front of me were, I don't know, that first time, about 150 inmates. And I don't know why they were there. I don't know the crimes they committed, but there they were, 150 inmates in their, in their orange suits and, and, and getting ready for worship. And as I looked around, something was really odd because as I looked around, what I could not see in the near vicinity was an exit, nor a guard. So here I am on the stage, and to my right are inmates playing in a band. And right in front of me are about 150 inmates, and, and, and I don't know what they've done, right? I mean, I don't know if they've, they're mass murderers. I don't know. I just don't know. And all I could think in those moments before I preached, if I say something they don't agree with, there's nothing stopping them. There's no way out of here. And then I looked, there was the door. The door was way in the back of the room. Like, I'm fast, right, but not that fast, you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm like, I mean, I'm just in that moment stressing over what am I going to do if these people rush me and try to whatever they do. Like, they weren't in chains or anything. And in that moment, as I was sitting there reflecting on that, what God was reminding me of was my own prejudices. I was there to share the gospel. And, and as I looked out over that audience on that particular Sunday night, what I saw were what? Hardened criminals. What I saw were convicts, people who were getting what they deserved. What I didn't see were people who needed Jesus. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I preached the gospel that night. But, but I, I honestly, looking back, think, man, I was more of a barrier than anything else because I was dealing in those moments with my own prejudices against people who had done wrong in society, you see? 
And so for me, I know even in my own life, I need to continue to be honest about my own prejudices because there are people that I need to speak the gospel to that might not be anything like me. But let me show you what else takes place in the story. Peter's going to have to deal with this, right? You come down to verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. The thing was taken up at once to heaven. So here's Peter in Joppa. And he goes up to the roof of a house because that was common to do in those days. And he's praying. He's hungry. And he falls into a trance, a vision of God. Cornelius had already had a vision. But now Peter is going to have a very different vision. And there he sees it. He sees a sheet descending, and that sheet extends to the four corners of the earth. And on that sheet were all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds, things that Peter had been taught since childhood that he was not supposed to eat, right? Because there was Levitical law, and God had established these Levitical laws uh, to, to make his people a distinct people. You're not going to be like others. Here's what your diet is going to be. And so, so, so I know it's a travesty, but Peter never grew up eating bacon, right? It was just awful. And so here he is. He's seeing. He's seeing the sheep and these animals. What's interesting is, back in Mark chapter 7, Jesus had already said, listen, there's something new God's doing. Everything is clean. But Peter, like so many of us, was slow to get it. And now he's seeing this sheet of animals, and, 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 and God says to him, right? Look at the text. I think it's verse 13. God says what? Rise up, Peter. Kill and eat. And you see what Peter does? He says something to God that you should not say. No. Not doing it. God, don't you understand? My whole life. I've held on to this tradition of not eating these kinds of animals. I've held on, and I'm not about to do it now. No, God, no. The Bible says that God gave him this vision three times. Three times he sees this vision of animals on a sheep. Now, now let me help you understand. The issue really wasn't animals. The issue was people. Because if you were a good Jew, you know what you wouldn't do? You wouldn't walk into the home of a Gentile and sit down with them and have dinner with them. Do you know why? Because they would eat things that Peter wasn't supposed to eat. They would eat what Peter considered unclean animals. And so just by walking into the home of Cornelius, for example, Peter would be polluting himself. I mean, there was no way. There was no way that Peter was going to walk into the home of Cornelius. You see, this, this thing about eating animals that were clean and abstaining from animals that were unclean, it had become a barrier, right? A barrier for Peter. For all of his life, he had held to this tradition. And even when Jesus said, all things are clean, eat what you want, have a BLT, right? Even when Jesus had said that, Peter said, no, 
I kind of hold on to this tradition. And that tradition built a wall between him and everyone that was not like him. But you see what happens. Peter comes out of the trance. And there, as he comes out of the trance, at the door of his house were three men. Look what it says in the text. So, so there's this interaction that he has, and, and I'm, I'm going to have to summarize for the sake of time this morning, uh, but, 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 but these men are there in conversation with, with, with Peter after God has a conversation with Peter about what's clean and what's not and, and how these three men were going to come, and he needed to go with these men. And, and, and look at what it says in verse 23. Acts 10, 23, when these men appear at his home, so he invited them in to be his guest. Peter's changing. Because no Jew would invite three Romans into their home. They were unclean. They were common. But God is at work breaking down the walls of tradition and breaking down the walls of prejudice so that Peter might be used to spread the gospel. Look at what it says. The next day they went and, and they, they arrive and they, they go into Cornelius' Cornelius's home and, and Peter saw Cornelius and the, the text says that Cornelius fell down and worshipped him and you could understand why because after all, an angel said Peter was coming, now Peter's there. This is a pretty big God thing, right? But Peter says, don't worship me, I'm just a man like you are and, and, and God has shown me that I shouldn't call anything unclean and then there's this interesting question, right? Verse 29, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why you sent for me? What am I doing here? Apparently, Peter had already forgotten Acts 1-8, right? Duh. You're here because you are to be a gospel witness to the Gentiles, and I'm one of them. And so what happens is Cornelius had gathered a lot of his friends and family members because he had been waiting for this guy, Simon Peter, to come to give this message from God. And he, he, he's finally there, and as he's there, you know what Peter does. He does what he's done so many times now in the book of Acts. He begins to speak about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is the way to the Father. And it's so interesting because, it, and I know I'm summarizing a lot here, but as you read through chapter 10, what you see, for example, in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Peter hasn't even given the invitation yet. And they're getting saved. They're giving their lives to this one who died and rose again for them. And the Spirit of God comes, and, and Peter is amazed. And, and the Bible tells us that, that, that Peter begins to baptize them in water as a sign of what God was doing among them. You see, Peter shares the gospel to people that naturally he would not have been open to. Peter shares the gospel with people that he had been programmed to be prejudiced against. Peter shares the gospel with people that didn't live like him, that didn't hold to his traditions. Peter shares the gospel in spite of those things. And the gospel goes forth into Caesarea and then ultimately beyond. And so, so listen, be honest about your own prejudices. But, but secondly, I want you to consider this, right? Not only be honest about your own prejudices, but also be willing to look past your limited perspective. For some of us, we, we've forgotten how big our God is and how he wants to work in us and through us, not just for our sake, but for the sake of the world, for those people who are far from him. And now watch this. Sometimes for us, when our perspective of God is limited, our traditions will become more important than the salvation of people. I've been there because I've been in churches where this has been said to me. I can remember. I can remember in a church 
having an interracial couple visit our church. And as that interracial couple walks into our church, I can remember vividly a lady stopping me in the hallway and saying, doesn't this Bible say not to do that? I can remember one Sunday morning at a church, a young man walked in. We talked. It wasn't his first time in church, but he had not been in church in years. And it was obvious, that, obvious to me that he did not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of his life. He was wearing a ball cap. I didn't tell him to take it off. I just didn't really think much about it, honestly. And I know that in the culture that I was in and, and where I lived at that time, that was a big deal. Show respect to the Lord and the facility by taking your hat off. And I, I get that. I understand that, right? And so the boy sat down with his ball cap on. And I remember that as we were singing songs of worship in this particular church, someone got up and told him to remove his ball cap. He not only removed his ball cap, he removed himself and left the church and never came back and did not hear the gospel from us that morning. I can remember people asking me, doesn't the Bible say not to have tattoos? And I know in this room a lot of you have tattoos, and that's your own business. They hurt. I don't understand why you would do it, but that's your business. But listen, that's whatever, right? But doesn't the Bible say you shouldn't do this? Not understanding the context of the Bible and understanding what God was doing specifically in the nation of Israel at that time. What I have seen over the course of my time in ministry and what you've seen in the church as well, I am sure, if you're anything like me, is you've seen time when our traditions, right, not wearing a ball cap, right, or what we think the Bible might teach about an interracial couple, or what the Bible might teach about tattoos, or whatever, where those things become far more important to us than the salvation of people. That's a problem, my friend. And the reality is, the reality is, right, that for many of us, when we start coming to church, we ask the wrong question. We ask the question, or we, we make the statement, rather, how can I make the church more like me? I want to be a part of a church where people are like me, where they hold to the same political party I hold to, where they come from the same ethnic background I come from, where they hold my traditions that, that I think are sacred. I want to be a part of that kind of church. And when you're asking the question, how can the church be more like me, you are absolutely emphatically asking the wrong question. The right question is, God, what do you want from my church? What do you want my church to look like for your glory? What do you want the church I attend to be like for this community so that they might hear the gospel? You see, for many of us, our traditions and, and the way we think about life and, and who's good and who's bad and who's welcome and who's not, right? Our traditions are far more important to us than the salvation of people. And that, my friend, must stop with us. And also think about this. For many of us, our vision of God's kingdom is far too small, Right? Because let's be honest, for some of us in this room, what we care about only is our personal relationship with Jesus. Me and my few. As long as me and my few are good with God, who cares about anybody else? As long as me and the people that are closest to me love God and we know we're going to heaven, who cares about anybody else? And my friend, if that's your perspective on the kingdom of God, your perspective of the kingdom of God is not only wrong, it is far too small. 
Because God isn't just your God. He is the God that desires that every person on the face of the planet knows that he's alive and exists and loves them through the eternal love of Jesus Christ. You see, for so many of us, let's just be honest, our perspective of God is far too small and far too limited. And we hold on to these traditions and we say in our limited perspective of God, if you don't hold my traditions, if you're not like me, then you're not worth my time. And those prejudices, those traditions, they cripple us as a church. Want to let God work? Be honest about your prejudices. Want to let God work? Be willing to look past your limited perspective. Want to let God work? Let me give you one more thing from the text. Be a part of a church that embraces people like you. Let me show what I mean by that. Look what the text says. So you come to chapter 11, right? This glorious conversion takes place in Caesarea. Many people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and then Peter goes back to Jerusalem. This is a big day, right? Romans are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God has fallen on them. God is saving the enemy of the Jews. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter came up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Oh, you've been there, right? I've been there as a pastor. You see those kind of people that are coming to our church now, pastor? They ain't like us. And so Peter's being criticized. And so what Peter does, he goes through the whole story. He tells them exactly what happened, and God begins to work in the hearts of of this church in Jerusalem. And you come down, for example, to verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, underline this phrase, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who are you? Who am I that I might stand in God's way because of my own prejudices or my own need to hang on to my traditions? But look what else it says. When they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has Granted repentance that leads to life. Look around this room, brothers. Look around this room, sisters. We're not all the same skin color in this room. We don't all have the same educational level. We come from various backgrounds, various places. But we all have one thing in common. Let me show you something. Take your Bibles and go over a couple of books. Go to 1 Corinthians. I want to show you something from 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes these words, words that you may be familiar with. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just a couple books over. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Stop right there. Who's the unrighteous? Look around this room. That's you. That's me. He goes on. Look what it says. Do not be deceived. No matter your faith background, uh, no matter your religious preferences, no matter your traditions, no matter your ethnic skin color, right? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Who's that? Every single one of us. That's who we were. Regardless of your skin color, 
regardless of how much money you've got in the bank, regardless of where you went to school, regardless of who your parents were, regardless of what church you went to, regardless of the traditions you hold to, that was every single one of us. We were all idolaters. We've all practiced greed. We were immoral. We were unrighteous. We were adulterers. That describes all of us. And you hold that in common, my friend, with every single person on the face of the planet. Because Romans 3.23 is very clear. For all, not some, not a few, not even many, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Regardless of how important you think you are, regardless of how much better you think you are than somebody else, you hold that in common with every person on the face of the planet. What you hold in common is every one of us, every one of us, we were condemned to an eternal hell because of our unrighteousness. But Paul's not done. Look at what he says. You see it in verse 6, or excuse me, you see it in chapter 6 again, beginning in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were on your way to an eternal hell, but the God of all creation creation shows to extend his love to you through his son Jesus Christ who lived the life that you could not live, perfect in every way, and went to a cross and took the punishment for your sins upon yourself and, and bore the wrath of God in the flesh, was crucified, and then three days later rose from the dead. So if you call on the name of the Lord and turn from your sins and turn to him and complete surrender, he will give you life new, abundant, and eternal. Do you see it? What you have in common with every person on the face of the planet is that you were condemned, but God, God changed you. He saved you. Don't for a moment think that you're better than anybody else. Don't for a moment think that you're more deserving of the grace and love of God than anybody else because you're not. I'm not. None of us are. You see, I would be a part of a church of people like me that understand not that I'm better than anybody, not that I'm well off, not that I'm more educated, but understand that at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat, regardless of our skin color, regardless of our traditions that we hold on to, regardless of our political party. We're all in the same boat, condemned to hell. But God has an extended an offer to us, an offer of grace that whosoever believes in him, whosoever regardless of your background, regardless of your skin color, regardless of where you came from, whosoever believes in him will be forgiven, will not perish, will have everlasting life. My friend, it is time that you see yourself for who you really are. Your bank account does not define you. you your, 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 your skin color does not define you. Your education does not define you. At the end of the day, you're no better or different than anybody else on the face of the planet. We're all sinners in need of redemption. And that person that you're prejudiced against, that group of people that you can't stand, they're no different than you. They need a Savior just like you do. See yourself for who you are and see others for who they are and see God for who He is. He is the only hope for all of mankind. No matter where you came from, no matter your background, no matter your ethnic background. And so this morning, here in this room, 
There are some of you that can relate to what Paul says. You know it. You know you're a drunkard, greedy, idolater, whatever the case may be. And you know what you need is to be washed, to be given new life. We are a church here at Northwood that says no matter where you came from, no matter what you look like, no matter how you act, there's a God who wants to clean you up, who wants to make you new and change you and transform you, who wants to help you put off sin and put on a new life. And this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, as we have a time of invitation, there will be some volunteers in the corners of this room standing at the crosses. They're going to be there to pray with you, to help you to understand what it means to take your next step of faith, to place your faith in Jesus as Lord, and to give your life to him as you believe that he died in your place and rose again. Today, if you'll turn to him in faith, You'll confess your sins to him and turn from your sins and turn to him. Jesus will make you new. And in this room this morning, there are some of us who need to be made new for the very first time. As we sing together in just a moment, I want to just invite you, wherever you're at in this room, to get up, to walk to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there to welcome you, to receive you, and to help you begin this morning a relationship with Jesus. Now, church, come in close. We've got to stop. You've got to stop i got to stop. You know what it is in you that's hindering the work of God through you. And this morning, if you're like me, if we're honest with each other, there are some prejudices that need to be put to death. And there are some traditions that we're holding on to that we think are more important than the salvation of people. And this morning, God is calling us to be honest, to be real, and to ask Him to change that about us to open our eyes to the harvest and to to be used by God in ways that we never imagined as we put to death those prejudices that, 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 that take root deep in our hearts. And so this morning for us as believers, this is a call to repentance. God is wanting to use you in ways that you've been hindering him to use you in. And so as we have the time of invitation, followers of Jesus, I just ask you, you want to calm down front, it's a sign of repentance. If you want to pray where you are, ask God to do a work in you that he might, like he did in Peter, open your eyes to people around you, regardless of who they are, that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us not be a people that hold on to prejudices that keep us from sharing the truth of Christ with other people. Father, thank you for this morning and for our time together in your word. Now, Father, as we... Um, Allow your spirit to work in us now. We're trusting that you're going to lead us to repentance. And you're going to empower us to put sins of prejudice to death. That you're going to tear down walls that we've built up. That you're going to help us to remove barriers that have kept us from engaging people who might not be like us. Holy Spirit, do a work in us right now, I ask. We're asking that for the sake of your kingdom, that you would do a work in us and help us respond to that work. And Father, for that man, that woman who's here, who needs to begin a relationship with Jesus, Father, give them today the courage to turn from their sins and turn to you. May they step out in faith, trusting that Jesus is Lord, Lord over all, the Lord who takes people from death to life. Holy Spirit, we're asking right now in these final moments, 
that as you have your way with us, we will be quick to respond to you in obedience and surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet as we're time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.